Let us pray. Father God, we praise you today. And we lift up these songs, seeking to exalt you, asking you to receive this meager offering of praise and song and in word. We thank you for welcoming and opening your heart and your hands to us. You alone bless us, God, and we bring praise for your grace from our hearts and our words today. We ask that you let us know today, God, the warmth of your grace as we turn to you. Help us to recall your goodness as we focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we continue in our series called New Beginnings, and we are looking together at the things that make for a successful and lasting change in our life and in the life of the church. It's been my hope through this series so far that you've been encouraged and God has moved on you through it. We have another uh, week next Sunday, and then we will be done uh, with this portion of Genesis chapter 12. And today we are in Genesis 12, and I encourage you to turn there if you've got a Bible with you, and a message entitled, Staying Connected to the Call. Now, as you turn there, I want you to think with me uh, for a moment about a wedding ring. You may have one on today if you're married, so you have a visual cue right in front of you. What's the purpose of the exchange of wedding rings? Wedding rings are usually visually attractive. Sometimes they're smooth. Sometimes they're diamond encrusted. They communicate to others that we are in a committed relationship. But beyond all that, they also serve as a reminder to the wearer that wherever we are in the world or if we're experiencing wedded bliss or not wedded bliss, that beyond our current circumstances, we made a commitment to someone and they to us. They serve these wedding rings to keep us focused on our commitment and our union. Look with me at Genesis 12, verses 6 and 7. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. As we'll see today in our passage, like wedding rings, God has drawn together something to help us to remember our commitment to him and his commitment to us, particularly if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior today. As we examine these words, I encourage you to ponder a thought and think on something. Think of the last time you turned from worry to worship when you faced hardships, and where in your daily life you make time to dwell upon the Lord even these days. As you think on that, we'll begin with our first point, which is that we need to focus on our call, looking at verse 6. Now for, again, a reminder of context this morning, this man Abram has been called 
by God to leave his home with his family for a new land, God is promising to give him and promising to give his offspring. And as he begins to arrive in this land, he finds it occupied, is what the scripture tells us, and occupied by enemies of God, the Canaanites. Look with me again at verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the Canaanites were a large people group who worshipped false gods who would be difficult for anyone to overcome because of their size and because of their strength, much less for Abram and his small band to overcome. That would certainly seem impossible by anybody's judgment. There's no way that Abram can accomplish God's call to have this promised land. And Abram, by the way, if you remember from our sermon last week, is coming off of the joy of being called by God. If you've ever had a time in your life where you've experienced some guidance by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to take some course or direction in your life, you know what it is to experience the joy of that. But then he gets to this land God is calling him to, and he sees this, this occupation of this enemy group of God, so large and so powerful. So what does he do? What does Abram do in response to what he sees? He goes, the scripture says, to the Oak of Morah, which was a place of spiritual reflection in the land, a place to pray to and a place to dwell upon God. Recently, I had the privilege of sitting with a woman in the hospital, and this woman is facing a health situation that appears really critical, and there will be doctors who will fight to overcome her illness, and we pray that they can. But as I spoke with her, our conversation turned to her eternity, because while there may be hope for her health, and there's always hope with God, There's no guarantee of that. And in the middle of a circumstance that seems really hard, and is really hard, she wanted hope that she could count on, no matter her health. So I shared the gospel with her, and she decided to follow Christ as her Savior and Lord. We praise God today for that. And her first words afterwards were these, I've been comforted by this. I've been comforted by this. Right in the middle of a critical health crisis, she's found comfort and eternal hope that will last beyond the years of her body because of Jesus alone. And like Abram, to this woman, maybe to you today, sometimes you felt like something in your life may seem impossible to overcome. Maybe you came in this morning with something on your mind and heart, new or long-standing, that seems impossible to overcome. You're worried. Your mind races with all the what-ifs. And even when you calm yourself by distraction, those thoughts are not too far away. But you know what brought Abram hope? 
trusting that no matter what stands before him, Christ stands for him. And listen, the reality of your life, if you know Jesus today, is this. He has a calling for you and for your life, irrespective of how many days of it are left. And maybe that's seen in your job, maybe that's seen in your work or your family or your service to the church, but he has a calling, and when it seems like something stands in the way between you and you fulfilling what it is that God is calling you to do, you must turn to him and away from your mind racing to figure out how to solve the problem. Christ first. Christ first. And then he will guide you in that situation that you face. And that's true for the church as well. This is a complicated day in our culture, and there's no question about that. Where the church is being shaken up all across the world, all across the country, all across this county. And sometimes here in the church, inside of it, we see changes in attendance or changes in bank accounts, and we start worrying and trying to come up with a solution. We fester on the problem. And what we need to be doing is praying to our God and remembering who he has been to us before now and is to us now. He is good, and he is good to keep his promises. And so what do we do? With this passage. This is called the why, what, how, the application for this first point. Why does this matter? Because staying focused on what God has called us to keeps perspective in our life. So we don't rush to our human wisdom for solutions, which will ultimately move us out of God's will. So what do we do? We stay focused by regularly dwelling on the word of God and reciting what work he's done in the word, in our life, in the church. Speaking about God's promises and his practices when problems come and troubles loom and uncertainty is in front of us. So how do we do it? Well, first, we need to memorize scripture. You want to know why some of us are constantly disturbed by one issue after the next? Why 75% of our conversations are us telling someone else about the unknown things we're afraid might turn out wrong, so we're scrambling for solutions? It's because we haven't hidden God's word in our heart. That's why. And I speak, by the way, from a life that itself has struggled with scrambling and worry. But if we will memorize the word of God and put it in our hearts, when the unknowns come, as the scripture says, dwell upon it day and night, when the unknowns come, instead of rushing to thinking, we'll rush to Christ. So memorize his word, and then talk about him. Talk about him. 
Talk about what he's done in his word. Talk about what he's done in your life. Present, past, remember the good works of God. The wonders he's accomplished in your story. Beginning with saving your soul. Which in the life of the church can sometimes become so commonplace. We talk often about salvation. We have altar calls and those kinds of things. We can forget along the way that it's a miracle today that you know Jesus as Savior. It's a miracle today that your eternity is secured if you know Christ because of what he's done on the cross. And so talk about these works. Talk often of how he's helped you in the past and in the present. Like Abram, if you seek to remember him and what he's done, you'll find a peace that will surpass whatever trouble you face in this day. We're promised that in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And God is good for his promises. And while a good new beginning requires an ongoing reflection on God's plan and call for us, it also requires us to regularly make time pausing to praise him. Look with me again at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. In our scripture, when Abram stops at this sacred place to pray and remember this tree, this oak, God meets him there to receive his worship. And again, Abram is here to worship God in this unknown time that he faces before him visually in his case, which is this land filled with the Canaanites. He's not come here to hear anything new. He's, in fact, not come to this oak to make God confirm his faithfulness. He's just come to worship God. And you see there in verse 7, in God's grace receiving this worship, and in his grace responding to it, he chooses to remind Abram again of the promise he made to him to have this land. To your offspring I will give this land. And as a result, the scripture tells us that Abram builds an altar. Now this was likely something like a pile of stones. That's most of what we see in the scripture when altars are built. But it would sit here in this place where this interaction between God and Abram occurred. It would sit here as a reminder to Abram of God's goodness and his promise. Hear me this morning. It would serve as a reminder of God's goodness and his promise, because God is good, and that's it. And then he's also good to give gifts to his children, also good to meet us in struggle, also good to bless us. But he is good. He is good. So here Abram made a point in his schedule, if you will, because he had an agenda to praise God. And God met him and encouraged him, and he would do this again throughout his life as he continues on this journey with the Lord. Eugene Peterson, a pastor who has since passed into eternity himself, shared this on worship in the Old Testament. Worship gives us a workable structure for life. In the Old Testament, for a Hebrew, Jerusalem was a place of worship. 
the great worship festivals to which everyone came at least three times a year were held in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, everything that God said was remembered and celebrated. When you went to Jerusalem, you encountered the great foundational realities. God created you. God redeemed you. God provides for you. In Jerusalem, you saw in ritual and heard in proclamation and preaching the powerful history-shaping truth that God forgives our sins and makes it possible to live a life without guilt and with purpose. In Jerusalem, all the scattered fragments of experience, all the bits and pieces of truth and feeling and perception were put together in a single whole. So people came over and over as a matter of habit and as a matter of schedule to remember, like a time of weekly worship for us. And for Abram and for us, it matters greatly in everyday life to remember that God has called you and to remember that he called you to know him first and he has a purpose for your life. And again, we do that by memorizing his word and talking about him often, but you also do it. We also do it by having regular rhythms of worship in our life. Times you've intentionally set aside as a priority in your life. Like Abram That when we face a crisis, our first instinct isn't to solve it and to use time away from when we should be worshiping to scheme. But instead, we rush to worship, knowing the solution will come from God's word, God's peace, God's wisdom. If you'll commit yourself to weekly worship, and some of you hear me this morning, if you'll commit yourself to worshiping God every week, not unlike in a place like we are today, and you come here focused and ready, you'll see gatherings like this not as an obligation, but as a source of encouragement and a source of motivation to keep you centered on Christ. And not overcome with worry, not overcome with distraction by the troubles of this life. And so what do we do? How do we apply this to our story? Well, why does this matter? Well, first, regular worship keeps us remembering who we are and who God is. We are totally incapable of solving the troubles of this life, and he alone is sufficient to bring peace and contentment. So what do we do? We must make weekly worship a priority. Now again, I'll say you need daily times of worship in your life as well. That's a critical part of staying connected to God and his word. But God has ordained this time for us to come fully focused on him and exalting him in song and prayer and preaching, which blesses him and blesses us. So how do we do it? Well, first, we've got to be present. This cannot be a second-hand matter in your life. 
This is a time to connect with and exalt the God who created us, who sustains us. And he means for it to be a source of teaching and a source of growth for you so that you might live the life that he created you to live. It is as critical to this life as anything else you value. So you and I must, as we said last week, have our lives adjust to this, not the other way around. And we must come prepared to worship. That means with hearts that are prepared, not coming to worry about what people might think of our new dress or whether or not we'll sing our favorite hymns or whether or not the message is just the way we like it. I've got some breaking news this morning. This time of worship here, it isn't about us. It's not about you or me or our preferences. It is about Christ alone. And if Christ is being preached and Christ is being prayed, and Christ is being saying, then exactly what should be happening is happening. And in order for you to experience the blessing that comes with that, you've got to pray before you walk in these doors every week. And not come with all your thoughts about your life or the church, because hear me, they will snuff out the joy of worshiping God. On your drive here, be repenting of your sin and be asking God to help you to dwell on and focus on him alone. And he will, if you really want that. Here's, here is the wonder this morning of worship. Here is the wonder of this time. This thing we're doing here each Sunday when we come into this place and we hear our Sunday school teachers teach and we sing songs of praise and we pray together corporately and the word is preached, this time is for God and yet in his grace and his mercy he blesses us. What a God! What a wonder! This thing that's exclusively intended for him, he is so good to us, he still blesses us. What a wonder. And so don't miss out on that by coming here focused on all the things you wish the church was or all the worries and troubles of your life. Instead, come here ready to worship God and to praise him. You will be encouraged you will be blessed, like Abram at the oak. I want you to bow your head for a moment and focus on my words. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and Billy will come and lead us in worship, and I'll be down front. And if you've listened today, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't know Jesus, and I know I'm a sinner And I know I worry over everything and try to control everything. And I want to rest in Jesus like Abram. Then come down this aisle today and I'll pray with you and help you to meet him. And if today you know Christ, but you came in here even today, 
Listen again to my words with all these thoughts about your life or your job or your health or the church or whatever. Let's try something new today. We've got a song of worship to close with, and if that's you today, as I pray, I want you to focus on Jesus and ask him in your heart to meet you in this song we're about to sing. And if you will, if you'll take your thoughts captive, as God's word says, and focus on him, you'll find the peace that comes only when we dwell on God, his word, his promises. Lord God, allow something to change from this word in our hearts. God, allow us to grow in great desire to memorize your word so we have it when we face the unknowns of this life. Grow us in desire to recount your good works so we remember who you are. Grow us in commitment to worship you every week, every day, so that we might become who you meant for us to be. And so we remember you are great, greater than anything else that might trouble us. In Jesus' name, amen.